But the time is out. Fiji can't be beaten. Whatever happens from here, and it's been turned over, and it's Caleb Munts who fires it into touch. England's fortress is the Temple of Doom. Yeah, what a weekend of international footy it was, capped by Fiji's historic win at Twickers there over England. But as I've started with, the, the Scott Barrett situation, the All Blacks-South uh, Africa match was the headline for me. And uh, Patrick McKendry is a uh, One News writer, sports writer. He does a hell of a job, extensive career in life in rugby. And wasn't surprised to see Pat come out and be the one to um, find this Chris Pollock Facebook post. And Patrick, as I say, good morning to you. Chris thought it was private, but Facebook and social media, well, they, they, it's not really how it works, is it, in 2023? So, well done. Good, good scoop, and man, what a fascinating angle. Yeah, thanks, Louis. Um, it, well, it definitely struck a chord with the One News audience. Um, it, it was a hugely high-rating story, I think the biggest online story for One News over the weekend, and I think it's still going quite well. So if you haven't read it, uh, anyone among your audience hasn't read it, please please click on and have a look. Um yeah, look, I, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing apart from the All Blacks sort of meltdown it took in was the officiating. And while you made some good points in your, in your preamble there, that they weren't incorrect as such. But just picking through all the ins and outs of every decision, I mean, clearly it took far too long. Um, no, no one wants to watch a first half that takes an hour or, or a test match that takes two hours with what, something like 33 minutes of of the ball being in play. It's, it's just unsustainable. I think um, I, I do have some sympathy for Chris Pollock, given his position and um, the, the, the fact that he felt it was a private post and he was expressing his thoughts to his friends. Uh, one of those friends um, sent me the, the, the post, and, and it's, it's out there. It's newsworthy, and, and I, I felt duty-bound to report on it. But I think he makes a good point. I think rugby does need to evolve, or it's in a bit of trouble. It does, and here's the thing. Uh, uh, like We can look at this in the lens of the Rugby World Cup, or we could look at this in the lens existentially about rugby, and I don't think we can do the latter, Pat, because we don't have enough time. But in the short term, this, this Rugby World Cup, are we happy for incorrect decisions and calls to be made that will eventually cost a team no. the trophy in the lieu of pace of play in a game that has a good vibe to it? What do we want? Well, that, that's yeah, that, this, is, this is what makes this such a difficult situation that we, we have to get things right. The audience expects it, players do, coaches, their careers riding on it, careers riding on every decision potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, we, there's, there's a responsibility to get everything right if you can. But people in the referee's ear constantly, the TMO, the bunker, uh, it's just taking too much time. So I think somehow, some way, the referee has to rest back a bit more control and say that this is, uh, I'm the sole adjudicator, which he is, or uh, which she is, and I, I, I just think, we, I just think we, that, that is the way forward. I just think there's too many voices and it's just taking up too much time. Yeah, and I would agree with you, and I think the, the referee needs to be empowered more, and, and look, if that comes at the cost of a 50-50 going one way or the other, maybe Maybe that is just what we'll have to swallow. I, I don't like our chances of getting that across the line in time for the World Cup. I think we probably just need to accept that these games are going to be more like the length of 2020 games of cricket, and it's it's going to be ugly, but 
I just I can't see and and Pat I'd love to get your take on this northern hemisphere refereeing versus southern hemisphere refereeing scenario. Obviously, yeah. there's two styles of game, but how did we get mm-hmm. to a point where there's two styles of refereeing the same sport? Well, I think that you know we saw during Super Rugby there was a big push on speeding up the game, and and there was to an extent up north as well with the shot clock, etc. But but down here in Super Rugby in particular. Um, there was an expectation that scrums would be set and the ball would be in play, you know, within 30 seconds, um, line-outs. I just don't think that has taken hold as much in the Northern Hemisphere. That's my gut feel. I think, think, you know, the the Southern Hemisphere refs were given that expectation to move the game along. Again, I just don't think for whatever reason that is the case up north. Um, I mean, we could we could talk about this for hours. Like, for instance, um, Louis, you said in your preamble about the rule book potentially tearing it up. That's actually not a rule book. It's a, we, we have laws in rugby, yes, which, sir, is, of which is quite yes. an, an, an anachronistic as well. Uh, and yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we maybe we do need to, to look to simplify um, and things to, to to free the game up and to and to get it moving. Um, but at the moment, like with with more and more officials being introduced to oversee the game. Um, they, they have to justify their positions, don't they? Because they have to, they're getting paid and they have to, they have to answer to World Rugby. So uh, I would strap yourselves in for the World Cup uh, and prepare for very long games indeed and prepare for a lot of whistleblowing. It's very right to point that out, Pat, because if McCart- and if Daniel McCarty was listening on his way home from the uh, the breakfast show, he probably I'd, I'd have to apologise to Ray's and the family because he might have driven his car off the, the side of the road if he heard me say rule book, and f- fair enough too. Um, now, I guess, what can the All Blacks do? I mean, Scott Barrett, he, he, this, is, this is a frustrating one because uh, he, he's playing as good as anyone in world rugby. I think he's the next All Blacks captain. Uh, I think he's in a rare vein of form that we've had, been lucky enough to have a few locks get to of, you know, over the last decade or so. But if they're going to carry on like that and do things like that, then they make their own bed. And I don't think you, you should be able to find an All Blacks fan that would quibble with that yellow card. And I think he yeah. was probably lucky. So, so how much of this yeah. falls on the players to the play to the laws of the game? Uh, everything, the, the, everything rests on that. Um, and when I when I saw it, I thought, oh, that's just reckless and unnecessary. But the more you look at it, the more you think, okay, well, he just got he got his timing wrong. It looked bad, but he he just got it wrong. And you look at those, you look at every collision, every breakdown throughout that game. There are people running in off their feet, mm-hmm. and every breakdown, every ruck, uh, charging in. No arms, shoulders on shoulders, shoulders potentially on the back of necks, as we saw. I'm mm. not sure if you saw it, but dang, goals got clobbered yep. at one point. And that, so, yeah, like Scott Barrett, I mean, reckless, but he has to live on the edge because he's an all-black type forward who has to clean rucks and try and win some uh, quick ball for the backs. And so it's a, there are very, very fine margins. Um, and, and as I say... He just got it slightly wrong, but if you, if you turn it around the other way, the, the, the Springboks could have been penalised a lot more than they were as well. And, and they were perhaps, uh, in one instance in particular, with a Dane Coles getting clobbered, um, probably a bit lucky not to get a, a yellow card himself. 
It goes back to the question, uh, uh, I guess, where we started. If, if a referee and the TMO want to look at every single ruck for an, uh, an unnamed amount of time, they're probably going to be able to find lots of marginal contact, aren't well, they? So, uh, and uh, and reading, reading through that uh, the, the judicial decision on Barrett, it says that a player cannot leave his feet and charge into a, into a breakdown without binding onto someone. But no one does that. No, literally no one does that in the game anymore. I mean, that, that, that's the true definition of how to clean out the rut, but it just doesn't happen. So, yeah, I mean, that, that by itself says that, that the laws in this case uh, are not fit for purpose. Totally agree. Hey, uh, just a couple of days on, Pat. I mean, the performance itself, I, I must admit, I'm probably a little bit surprised by the reaction of our rugby public. It, it, very forgiving. I think there's, I think Ian Foster it shows how much faith and trust he's won back just in 2023 alone. I think a lot of people are suggesting, well, yeah, it wasn't good, but at least it's not the World Cup and maybe there's just a couple of screws they can tighten and they're not too far away. Whereas my, my visceral reaction was probably a bit more doomsday than that. I mean, where are you a couple of days on? Oh, I was probably a bit more doomsday early. Um, in retrospect, by losing Tyrone Lomax was a big blow. Um, he's obviously the cornerstone of that scrum. The All Blacks played uh, quite a long time in the first half with uh, 13 men, which is going to take it out of you. And then, obviously, Barrett's dismissal. Um, you just can't operate like that against the box. And so they went into a, a bit of a downward spiral where they couldn't impose themselves physically, as we saw. That affected their mentality. Uh, and so they became you know, ever more frantic. And their handling skills and, and ability to, to catch and pass was... Literally the worst I've ever seen under Ian Foster's reign. Uh, it was it was just really poor and substandard. But there are mitigating factors to that, as I as I explained in terms of you know being shorthanded for so long. So the fact that they they were physically dominated um, by by a, a Springboks team that really didn't have to extend themselves, or at least it didn't appear to have to, that's a concern uh, for me. Um, and and. That style of play is perfect for knockout football, isn't it? and that's what we're going to get at the World Cup. And, and we're going to get teams like France and Ireland who are, who are also very good at playing that way. So a little bit concerning. Um, I, I, I was a bit sort of doomsday scenario watching it and immediately afterwards, but perhaps a little bit more upbeat in terms of the All Blacks' hopes now, but still um, I'm not sure if they're favourites still perhaps they are but uh, yeah, I'm not they sure are. if they really I'm not sure they deserve to be I, I think that's more just the bookmakers protecting themselves yeah. but the look <laughs> Uh, I, I think there were mitigating factors, uh, as it were, for the, the hiding, because as, as you point out, they sucked a lot of energy. Front rowers had, uh, Fletcher Newell, for example, had to play a lot of that game, and um, it was it was pretty tough towards the back end, where they actually did seem to just compose themselves finally. I don't know if South Africa have stumbled upon something with having seven um, forward subs. <laughs> Yeah, well, they, they act, uh, there was kind of an, a, a happy accident to them, wasn't it? They, they, I think they lost yeah. Willie Daru, was it, late on, and it was they didn't really have anyone else, so they put another thought on there. Why not? I mean, it, it kind of it, it's kind of worked in the past, I guess, with the, with a six-two split. Why not? Why not fully commit? Um, there are probably probably dangers there. I think they brought their seven forward on at, at once, which is quite a spectacular thing to do, wasn't it? Uh, quite formidable. Um, but there are risks involved in doing that, I think, uh, in terms of new combinations. 
um, at CPs and, and around the field. So and the other thing that struck me about South Africa too, I, I don't think, I think they kicked the ball probably too much. I think they could have put more pressure on New Zealand uh, by building, by holding onto it and building momentum. So they didn't really play that well. Um, they, they, I mean, obviously they played that well, but they didn't, as I said earlier, they didn't really need to extend themselves. They just they suffocated the bits with their pack, really, and, and their back sort of read the dividend. So, um, but having said all that, that, that's a team that if I was Still Black's coach, I wouldn't want to have to play at the World Cup in a knockout game. Yeah, okay, very interesting, because I've got two quick ones to finish with you, Pat. I would still rather play the Springboks in the quarterfinals in Ireland. I think that they are a known uh, quantity to us, and I think I am in the minority there. I'm sensing that yeah. you would rather play Ireland? No. I, I would, if I'm going to put my All Blacks fan hat on, um, mm-hmm. because I, Ireland have never won a knockout game at the World Cup, and I don't care. Like, they're the number one team in the world. They... Um, brilliantly drilled. Uh, every player on that pitch knows what they have to do at any time. However, that still, I think, that, that pressure of knowing that they've never actually uh, cleared that hurdle before, I think that has to count for something deep down. And so I think if the All Blacks played them in the quarterfinal, exerted a bit of pressure, put a, got, got a lead on them, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, think that would be, uh, I think that would be far more advantageous to, to, to the All Blacks. Okay, okay, I take that, and I'll be interested to know what people think on double eight, double three, oh eight hundred, one five zero, eleven. And Pat, did Usyk get clipped low, or was there a little bit of um, a little bit of performance out there? Is it, who's that? Sorry, I missed that. Usyk, did he get clipped? Did oh, he get Usyk. low? Alexander Usyk in defending his his world yeah. heavyweight title. No, I think it, I think it was a low blow. I think it was a low you blow. Do? So um, yes, yes, I do, uh, and. But apart from all that, he won every round, and Daniel Dubois basically quit after getting hit with a jab. So I don't <laughs> really think you can have too. I don't think you can have too many complaints. <laughs> <laughs> I think he probably did get hit low, but gee, he sold it. It was pretty good. He did. It was. It was. He just. He did sell it. Pat, great to catch up, man. Um, appreciate your thoughts, yeah. and yeah, really good work there. And I, I would encourage everybody to go and have a look at that story at our One News Sport. Go and find it uh, around Chris Pollock. It's fascinating, and for what it's worth, not that you need to hear this, but it was 100% newsworthy. And the, uh, yeah, There's group chats for things that you don't want leaked, and even that doesn't go well all the time. So just a word exactly. to the wise. Yeah, thanks, I appreciate your words, mate.